Welcome in everybody to another episode of the Dynamic Dialogue podcast. As always, I'm your host, Danny Matranga, and in this episode, this is episode 274, we will be discussing a variety of different things, including optimal sleep and wake times for performance, fat loss, productivity, just some good sleep habits, how I sleep, the time I wake up and when I go to bed. We'll be discussing how to squat using either a barbell or a hack squat in a way that doesn't feel uncomfortable on the shoulders. I have a couple quick tips that can really make a big difference for that, especially for new lifters or anybody who experiences bruising when squatting. We're going to discuss training six times a week and whether or not I think six weekly training sessions is sustainable. We'll be discussing collagen protein and omega-3s, as well as active recovery day activities, specifically those that are cardiovascular. And these are questions asked directly by you guys, my audience, uh, questions that I fielded from over on my Instagram. So if you are not following me there, I'm danny.matrenga. You can follow me over on Instagram and interact with me there. I love to engage with you guys, make fun content around fitness and health and sustainable fitness and health that will inspire as many people as possible. So if you're not following me there, please go ahead and do that. Same thing on YouTube, TikTok, etc. Go ahead and sit back and enjoy the episode today, guys. It's going to be a good one. Hey, everybody, welcome into a special Monday edition of the podcast. Typically, you're used to getting episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. That's the schedule. But I want to drop one extra podcast for you a week as we grow the show. And we're doing that with the help of our awesome sponsors and partners. And this episode is brought to you by our partner, Gooder. Gooder makes the best $25 eyeglasses and sports frames on the market. These things are super durable and they come in amazing styles and colors. If you like stuff that's loud and exciting, they have so many different colors for you. If you want something that's classy and distinguished, again, more frames, tons of types, from aviators to more classic styles, lots of super durable frames that don't bounce. They actually have incredible built-in little textured grooves around the nose and on the ears that don't appear from the outside. You cannot even see them. But what they do is they create just enough texture in and around the eyeglass that they really hold to your head. So if you're out and about doing active things or you're just sick of your glasses or even blue blockers falling off, Gooder makes incredible frames. And again, we're talking 25 bucks. I've been held hostage by $200, $300 pairs of designer glasses that I lose or break in just a couple weeks. It's annoying and I literally can't keep nice glasses around because of it. So having the ability to get high quality frames that have a year long warranty in case anything does happen with my active and hectic lifestyle is super, super effective because I want to make sure that I protect my eyes from the sun's UVA and UVB rays, but I also want to be sure that at night when I put my blue blockers on, I'm not exposing my retina to too much blue light that's going to disrupt my circadian rhythm, and I like doing that for an affordable price. So you guys can get yourself a pair of one of Gooder's amazing frames with an awesome discount just for Dynamic Dialogue listeners. I threw a link in the show notes, and you'll see more from me on social as well, but you can go to gooder.com slash Danny and use the promo code Danny to get free shipping on your frames. 
If I may, I definitely would recommend getting a pair of the blue blockers frames. Nice to have at night, nice to have if you're staring into the screen uh, for long periods of time, long after the sun has gone down. And there's a lot of companies that sell these for egregious prices, but I think there's some utility here. So that would be my primary recommendation. And I really like the polarized aviators I have. Uh, they have a fun name. All the products have fun names. So check out Gooder Guys and enjoy this episode. Okay, here we go. Let's get into the questions. This first one comes from Ursula Bahamandez. And the question is, what time do you usually go to sleep and wake up? So I have two distinct sleep schedules. Uh, one is a Monday through Thursday sleep schedule, and one is a Friday to Sunday sleep schedule. So Monday through Thursday, I wake up at four o'clock in the morning, I go to the gym, and then I train a lot of clients at the studio. I'm working uh, at the studio most of those days. Now, Friday to Sunday, I spend a little less time in the studio, and I'm typically spending more time on the core coaching method online side of things, working with the podcast, doing consultations with other trainers, coaches, mentorship clients, etc. So I'm getting up a little later Friday, Saturday, Sunday, usually about 5 to 5.30. To make this work, I go to bed usually between 8.30 and 10 p.m. each and every night. Usually, I'm in bed with the lights out by nine o'clock. That allows me to get a full night's sleep between seven to eight and a half hours most nights. I'd love to punch it up to nine. Some days I am able to do that. For example, this Wednesday, I had the opportunity to train from home due to just some openings in my schedule in the middle of the day and the fact that I do, in large part, control my entire schedule. I don't take that many meetings. I don't agree to do that many podcast interviews. I actually, you know, I, I like to have a lot of control over my life, um, which is nice. So having an open afternoon, I looked at my schedule and said, I don't need to get up at my typical 4 a.m. I can actually sleep all the way until 6, and I still went to bed at 9, so I got a ton of extra awesome sleep, a whole extra two hours that day. So I'm always looking for seven to nine hours, usually hitting between six and a half and eight, no problem. Uh, very rarely do I dip below six. I will if something comes up. For example, in uh, about a week's time, I'm going to the opening day game between the Oakland Athletics and the Angel uh, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, <laughs> whatever it is, uh, Major League Baseball's opening day in Oakland. Um, I really want to see Shohei Otani the greatest show on on earth right now in, in the baseball world. And uh, I'd like to see Mike Trout while he's still at the peak of his power. Um, two of the best baseball players of my lifetime. And I'm going with my fiance. It, it'll be a blast. And that game doesn't start until 7.07 p.m. So that means I'll probably be out in Oakland till at least 10 o'clock, which means I'm not going to get home to where I live in the Bay Area until about 11.30. And I know I have to get up the following day at 6 o'clock. So I know I will probably get only about six hours that day, or I actually have to be at work in the studio by six o'clock. So if I'm going to do that, I'm going to get five hours. So the night before, I'm going to be really sure to get a lot extra, maybe even take a nap. And then day after, I'm going to do the same thing. If you can try to average your sleep out, guys, between seven to nine hours a night, it makes a really big difference. What's less important is following somebody else's exact sleep schedule. And I think a lot of people 
look at me and go like, you get up at four o'clock in the morning. You're such a savage. Like people tell me all the time, like I could never do it. They DM me like, dude, that's badass. four o'clock. Like I wish I could do that. And it's a lot of it is discipline. Sure. But the thing you have to remember is I'm still waking up after a decent night's sleep. It's not like I'm getting up at four in the morning on zero hours of sleep. I'm being smart and I'm considering getting that seven to nine hours no matter what. And that allows me the freedom to get up at four and go because I go to bed a little earlier and I'm not up streaming when a lot of people are streaming and scrolling. That's the trade-off. But people have different chronotypes. So some people are more of a quote-unquote night owl and some people are more of a quote-unquote early bird. These are normal variations in human circadian biology. Not everybody, while I do believe anybody can shift their circadian biology enough to become a morning person or can change it enough to become a night owl, I do think that we have a genetic predisposition to be more oriented to getting up early when perhaps it's still dark and getting after it uh, and going to bed a little earlier. And some people do the opposite. And you need to identify which one of those works better for you. If I had to guess, it would probably be very possible that you're also somebody who's pretty flexible and kind of in the middle. And if you adjust your lifestyle and plan to become either more firmly a night owl or more firmly an early bird, that you could definitely make that happen by just like changing your bedtime, changing your meal times, changing your morning schedule to incorporate workouts. I think there's a lot of flexibility there. But I'm not some like crazy hardcore badass just because I get up at four in the morning when a lot of people who went to bed at 10 or 11, and remember, I went to bed here in this in this simulation at like nine o'clock, of course I'm going to appear to be mildly more quote unquote hardcore because I'm doing the thing that not a lot of people are willing to go do. But it's not as badass as people make it out to be, guys. I'm still getting my seven to nine hours, which we know is the most important thing. I'm still getting an adequate amount of the fuel I need to train in the morning from the meal I had before and the sodium supplement, the electrolyte supplement I take. I often take pre-workout. I'm not using caffeine now, but um, I don't want you guys to champion that early morning wake-up behavior if it comes at the cost of your sleep. And I know a lot of people are in a position where they look online at Uh, health and fitness content creators uh, who are people that have influence and appear to have it figured out. Somebody like myself probably qualifies and they try to emulate that routine. And if you are a natural night owl and that's the way your chronotype is kind of put together, I don't think it's going to be an easy transition. And I think you need to be clear about why you're making the transition. Are you doing it because you see somebody else who's fit doing it? Or are you doing it because you want to actually, you know, um, change your routine to match that? Or you want to add it into your existing chronotype? Because you're going to have three very different journeys depending on where you're coming from. But you want to aim for about seven to nine hours. If you are somebody who's busy and you have kids I think that the early morning workout can be one of the most incredibly beneficial time enhancing. It's like stealing an extra two hours. And I will say this guys, as somebody who uh, considers themselves to be, I, I obviously what I do for work is fitness, but I also am 
in the business of business. I have a business. I'm growing a business and a personal brand. Uh, I'm engaged to a woman who I really love and plan on starting a family with who's really engaged with her family. And so there's a lot of familial things on the calendar. I love my social relationships and my friends. And having time and making time for all of that is challenging. So that extra time I get in the morning when the world is quiet really helps me make sure I have that time for my health. And so getting up in the morning sucks sometimes, but it sucks a lot less than not having time for the things that really matter. Um, And so I'd rather get myself out of bed well rested, still getting having gotten an adequate amount of sleep and stick to this routine. And I would definitely encourage trying it for a month um, or even a week if it's something that, or even a day for God's sake, if it's something that you think would be beneficial for your schedule and help you reduce any barriers between exercise uh, and you know getting it done on a consistent basis. Remember, you don't have to do this every day of the week. Um, you can do this just a couple days of the week if you just are looking to get started with improving your health or improving your fitness. Okay, like this question a lot. This one comes from Colin Zajil. And the question is, any tips for making the hack squat machine hurt the shoulders less? So we're going to extend this to back squats and front squats as well. Three exercises in particular uh, have a tendency to leave some pretty considerable bruising scraping adhesions on the surface of the skin. And those are the hack squat, which typically has large fork prong like pads that extend past the shoulder vertically running perpendicular to the shoulder. So they shoot out over your shoulders, much like a safety bar squat. If you've ever seen one, you kind of lock into it like a roller coaster If you've ever ridden one of those roller coasters where your feet hang and they pull the top down and lock it in, a hack squat is kind of designed in that way. And most hack squats have embroidery and upholstery to make cushion, but a lot of times that very same embroidery and upholstery pushes into skin and leaves scratches, especially when you have a lot of weight on the bar. Now, this is especially true of barbell sports uh, and barbell lifts, like front squats and back squats and cleans and hang cleans, which can scrape your body up pretty considerably. But the barbell back squat, where it sits across the shoulders with knurling kind of just outside the shoulder blades and oftentimes a center knurl, which is the textured, scraped, highly geometric part of the barbell that I'm sure you're very familiar with. Um, It's typically where you grip. The more knurling you have on a bar, the more knurling that makes contact with the skin and the more compression you have on the bar pushing down into the skin, meaning the more weight, the more likely it is that you'll develop some scrapes, bruising, and abrasions. It's actually pretty darn common to see a substantial amount of bruising and abrasion up on the upper back following using a barbell. Same thing with front squats. Usually we'll see it in the center of the chest, uh, just where the clavicles come together in the front by the sternum. So that would be your SC joints, your sternoclavicular joint, like right in between there, you can see some bruising. Um, You'll also see quite a bit up and around the shoulders if you're doing something like CrossFit, where the knurling could be making contact uh, with your front deltoid, where the bar is resting. 
So these lifts can really tear up your skin. And if you have sensitive skin, you might bruise for a long time. And I've actually had a number of people who go like, I want to use the pad on the bar when I squat. Um, I want to, you know, I want to find a way to minimize the amount of contact this bar makes with my body because it's pretty uncomfortable. And that's really understandable, guys. But the thing you have to understand about the pads that you put around the barbell are they elevate the barbell considerably away from your body, sometimes up to a full inch, even more often. And that's going to change the positioning of the load, which is going to change your balance and it's going to change your stability. And it can make the weight feel less comfortable and less easy to control while you go through a range of motion. There are better options that allow for the weight to be dispersed more comfortably. One of these is called a manta ray. This is a plastic, hard, almost manta wing tip shaped like object that feels like it's wrapping around your shoulders and just kind of stays there. It does not elevate the bar as much. So I prefer the manta ray to the padded bar pad, although I don't dislike the bar pad for things like hip thrusts. As for hack squats, it's pretty tricky because you can't necessarily put anything underneath that upholstery without losing that oh-so-important contact. But I do have a hack that I think applies to every single one of these lifts that should cost you absolutely nothing, and it's the time of year where you'll probably have absolutely no problem using it. And it's a hoodie. Believe it or not, a hoodie is probably the best single thing you can have for squatting. Now, you have to be sure to get your hood out of the way. You don't want to put the bar on top of the hood on top of the shoulders. But if you put your hood on and get under the bar, whether it be a front squat, back squat, or hack squat, if it's a thick fabric that has a a, a quality build to it, that is going to put more than enough between the bar and your skin or the machine in your skin to make a significant difference. And I get it, guys. Like I look pretty torn up sometimes after I'm done hack squatting or after I'm done using the barbell. And those little bruises can take like one to two days to fade. They're not super flattering. So I understand not liking it, but I wouldn't go straight to a bar pad and I wouldn't eliminate the hack squat entirely. Instead, I'd recommend something like a hoodie or even deploying something like a manta ray for your back squat specifically. Okay, good question here about training frequency from Miss Ms. Chrysalina. The question is, is training upper lower six times a week too much? My rest day is Sunday. So I can actually speak to this a little bit because I've done this split. Um, I've done most workout splits over the years. You tend to do that the longer you're in the game, the more you try. I remember a popular YouTuber uh, introducing a four, I believe it was a four to six day a week total body split. And I was like, sweet, that sounds super cool. And and I'm going to give it a try. And I really liked the way that the program was structured. Um, I think it was a little bit too high volume for me at the time, but I also kind of like higher volume programming. I just think I was a little stressed. Um, but I did that and I felt like I was getting better numbers on, on some of my big lifts. I liked the fact that I could train upper body three days a week still because I do prefer training upper body to lower body just a smidge, which is weird because I really do like leg day. I think I've just gone through cycles. Like when I first started training, I loved uh, put chest day. And then I started loving like a true pull day. And then I really, for a number of years, like fell in love with leg days and had like two to three leg days a week minimum. And then I kind of shifted back towards like chest days and more towards like a push style day. And now I'm really enjoying training like shoulders and arms. So cyclically, I've 
I've been through a lot of different things. And what I really like about upper lower at four days, five, uh, five days, six days is you get a good dosage of the stuff you like more. So if you're more leg, more of a fan of legs, you're going to get at least two days, days of legs. If you're more of a fan of upper, you're going to get at least two days of upper. Now the trade-off is when you go to six days, you're going to get three and three, most likely, unless you do some interesting stuff with total body or, you know, you just get a little creative with your programming. What's going on, guys? Taking a break from this episode to tell you a little bit about my coaching company, Core Coaching Method. More specifically, our app-based training. We partnered with Train Heroic to bring app-based training to you using the best technology and best user interface possible. You can join either my Home Heroes team, or you can train from home with bands and dumbbells, or Elite Physique, which is a female bodybuilding-focused program where you can train at the gym with equipments designed specifically to help you develop strength as well as the glutes, hamstrings, quads, and back. I have more teams coming planned for a variety of different fitness levels. But what's cool about this is when you join these programs, you get programming that's updated every single week, the sets to do, the reps to do, exercise tutorials filmed by me with me and my team. So you'll get my exact coaching expertise as to how to perform the movement, whether you're training at home or you're training in the gym. And again, these teams are somewhat specific. So you'll find other members of those communities looking to pursue similar goals at similar fitness levels. You can chat, ask questions, upload form for form review, ask for substitutions. It's a really cool training community and you can try it completely free for seven days. Just click the link in the podcast description below. Can't wait to see you in the Core Coaching Collective, my app-based training community. Back to the show. And for me, that was really hard, I think, to recover from with the amount of stuff I had on my plate. And I don't think that that's to say that you couldn't deploy this with people, um, but I wouldn't recommend it. I am more I am more of a fan for most people of just making that upper lower split four days a week. I think if I'd have done that earlier, that's way more similar to how I train now. I think if I had done that earlier, I would have enjoyed my training a lot more. And I probably would have made better gains because I fizzled out on that program, if I recall correctly, but somewhere between like seven to maybe, let's say seven to eight weeks in, it might've been a 12 week program. And I just, the volume kind of got to me um, and I kind of lost steam, uh, which is fine. There's, this happens with programs from time to time. It's not a knock on the program at all. It's a knock on my lifestyle, uh, inability to adjust my lifestyle accordingly. So if you train six times a week, upper lower, and you rely on compound lifts, there's a scenario where like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, for example, um, you're doing things like squatting, hinging, deadlifting, lunging, leg pressing. And on the days in between Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, like you mentioned, you're off Sunday. Um, you're in a situation where you're probably rowing and pressing and relying on some compounds too. So there's a lot of compound lifts, which means a lot of weights being moved, which could mean a lot of peripheral fatigue and just general fatigue could sink in. So if you're not super duper advanced and you're not a really great recoverer, I would do four days a week upper lower with a fifth total body day. That's how I program for a lot of clients. That's how we program in our elite physique app. That's how we program, um, that's how I program for me. You know, like these are, these are, that's a training that I really like F five days a week. You do the first two days as upper lower. Uh, you do the second two days as upper lower. And that fifth session of the week is a weak spot focus day. And you can either do lagging muscle groups, 
lagging uh, physique qualities or traits like tw- like explosiveness, like power, aerobic capacity, maximum strength, mobility, uh, hypertrophy of a specific muscle group, right? Like you can really have that fifth day be a combination of a number of things. And oftentimes I found that our clients like the fifth day the most, especially the one-on-one clients because we're customizing it around what they most like to do. But I would say that there is a very low probability, probably less than 20%, a low-ish probability that most people would benefit from six days a week of upper-lower training more than they would from something a little less. I think you can get a lot of the same uh, results training a little bit less. But there are some people for whom this would just be awesome um, and they just enjoy the shit out of it. The only thing I would tell you is try to keep the number of compound movements down to like one to three max per session. And then if you go three, like have like one to two accessory lifts. If you go two, have two to three. If you got one, go like one to four, but try to keep it like somewhere between five to seven lifts max per day and try to keep that like daily set volume south of 25, um, Cause I think if you're like trying to push this into like a two hour thing, like, I don't know if you're following your program or not, but if you're trying to do like, you know, eight exercises a day, like, Oh, every, I do like every hip thrust variation. I do every deadlift variation, do every squat variation. Um, that one day you have to recover, man. Oh man. That I feel like that's going to catch up to you quick. So just keep an eye out for your recoverability. Next question, uh, from so hilarious, Um, it's like five different words separated by a comma is about joint supplements and specifically collagen and omega-3. The question is thoughts on collagen protein. Does it help joints or is fish oil better? I actually really like both supplements in this particular context, but I think it's worth perusing the literature Um, first of all, when we're talking about collagen guys, we have to be clear. Collagen is the most abundant protein in your body. So your body is obviously quite skilled at synthesizing collagen. Okay. That's the main connective tissue in your body, right? Think about ligaments, think about tendons, but also skin and muscle both contain a ton of collagen. Okay. It does a lot in the body and there are multiple different types 28, in fact, uh, 28 known uh, uh, types of collagen, but there is type one, type two, type three, and type four. When you buy a supplement, okay, you don't necessarily always know how much type one, type two, type three, and type four that you might be getting, but these are located at different tissues across the body. So, Type 1 collagen, the most abundant type, the type that you're probably most likely to see in a powdered supplement is going to be found in all connective tissue. Type 2, okay? This is a particularly beneficial collagen to supplement with if you want to improve joint health. This is a really great add-in in Legion, one of our supplement sponsors. Great brand, great products love their way, love their greens powder, love their pre-workout, even though I'm not drinking caffeine. Thank God they have a caffeine-free one. Love recharge post-workout because it contains carnitine and creatine. 
but they have a joint product. We very rarely talk about it on the show because I tend to like to keep things as simple as possible. And that joint product contains type 2 collagen, specifically undenatured type 2, so a really high-quality, pure form. And when we talked about the 28 types of collagen, guys, type 2, the second most common type, is the type that is found abundantly in joints and intervertebral discs, so connective tissues and shock absorbers, right? That's probably the one to supplement with if you want to optimize joint health and you want to optimize how it is that your joints respond over time to training. Okay, we're not going to talk about types three and four collagen. One thing we can say about collagen is that because it's such a big piece of skin, or, or it's it's such a big <laughs> that sounds weird. It's such a big component of our skin's matrix that taking a large collagen supplement will probably have a lot of crossover between skin and joint. Um, and we do have some studies that show. Uh, specifically women who supplement with collagen had improvements in skin elasticity and hydration. So the body can ingest it. It can take those constituent amino acids and it can reassemble them into collagen. Uh, one thing collagen's kind of not good at is helping with uh, muscle growth because it's pretty low in the, pro or in the amino acid leucine, um, which is a particularly beneficial amino acid in the mTOR pathway for anabolism. So turning on those muscle growth and muscle protein synthesis and anabolic pathways in the body, leucine is really important for that. So if you want to build muscle, collagen is probably not great. If you want a decent amount of crossover between skin and joint, collagen is probably fine. If you want the best collagen for your joints specifically, you're looking for undenatured type 2, which is in legions fortify uh, joint supplement, which I actually have at the house right now, and I've started taking it a little bit ago, probably like two weeks ago. Uh, I'm going to stay on that, let you know what I think. But that's the type of collagen that you want for joints specifically. Now, fish oil, on the other hand, you asked specifically about uh, fish oil. And I think that when we talk about fish oil, I want to get a lot better at this because there's more plant-based eaters these days. Um, but we have to discuss specifically omega-3s, not fish oils, but omega-3s, which are those fatty acids, EPA and DHA, okay? Now, uh, omega-3 oil has been around forever, okay? For at least the last 200 years, cod liver oil has been used in traditional folk medicine. Um, the, the actual omega-3s found in fatty fish and cold water fatty fish that we often get these omega-3 capsules or extract the oils for these omega-3 capsules from is probably the most abundant source, those cold water fatty fish. But we can also get it from algae. Uh, and what we're really trying to get are EPA, okay, which is eicosapentaenoic acid and DHA, docahexaenoic acid. Okay, those two fats specifically have been shown to reduce inflammation, okay, which we know is a big deal in degenerative disease, be it myodegenerative disease, neurodegenerative disease, um, osteodegenerative disease, right? If we carry too much systemic inflammation, we open the door for a variety of problems from metabolic uh, illness to things like cancer and cardiovascular issues. So, uh, and of course, neurodegenerative disease and fish oils being so rich in EPA and DHA became just kind of a blanket recommended product. But 
I don't think you necessarily need to supplement with them if you would like to see uh, improvements in joint health. One thing we know for sure is that there are some really good core, there's some good data um, that shows fish oil to be, or omega-3, this is tough to do, uh, omega-3 to be really good and pretty darn effective for arthritis. So if your joint pain is related to arthritis, you might see a particular benefit from taking fish oil or omega-3. But if I wanted to improve my joint quality, the way that they felt, I would do a lot of deliberate mobility and joint specific training. I do a lot of stability work. Um, I would definitely look to supplement with something like perhaps collagen and undenatured type two collagen. I'd look at my footwear and I would look to make sure that I was doing the right amount of cushioning and also the right amount of free foot activity. Um, and I'd want to move all my joints and train them through a full range of motion. Okay, last question of the day comes from Angel Aguirre. And the question is, what are my thoughts on cardio-only active rest days? Um, so this is like, I'm, I'm going to take a day w- where I don't train with weights, um, but I am going to do cardio, which makes the rest day active because I'm not just sitting around. And I think the type of cardio you do really matters here. But let's assume it's not sprints, because when I think of sprinting, I think of that as an anaerobic activity. Yes, it's very demanding on the heart, and you'd get your heart pumping, and you get breathing really hard. But the main adaptation you're driving is anaerobic. If you're running true sprints, a lot of what you're developing is the ability to generate power and the ability to generate and produce force, which are more anaerobic from an adaptation standpoint than they are aerobic. Your ability to sprint isn't really limited by your aerobic capacity. Um, It is in that you can't produce enough ATP via the aerobic pathway to sprint full speed forever. You you run out of steam. Um, But we're talking in this instance specifically about using low-intensity cardio to help recover from exercise on the days that you're not lifting. And I think that can be a really incredibly valuable tool, especially if you're doing that zone one, zone two cardio that is associated with better mental health, better cognition, um, longer lifespan. You know, uh, Peter Atia said this on the uh, Andrew Huberman podcast the other day. I thought it was a great, great point. He said, um, if you think of your health as a pyramid, your aerobic base is like the base of the pyramid and the broader it is, the the broader, the, the, the more stable. And your aerobic peak is like the peak of the pyramid. And you want a pyramid with a wide base and that's really tall. And I didn't, I don't recall exactly what he said the middle of the pyramid was, but I'd like to think it's muscle strength, stability, um, and, you know, things of that nature. I'd imagine it is based on how that discussion went, but you want to develop your aerobic base and you want to develop your aerobic peak. Developing the aerobic peak can be hard to recover from if you do things like true sprints. So things like interval work on things such as rowers or uh, even assault bikes that lower the impact of that high effort work uh, would be really smart. And a, a protocol that I like is a 20, 10, five. It's 20 minutes of zone one to two cardio, 10 minutes of zone two to three cardio, and then five minutes of high, high speed sprint work that is accumulated in small bursts. Meaning it could be like, um, you know, uh, three, one minute, uh, three, one minute intervals of like a, like a, let's say an 800 watt on the assault bike average, uh, three, 
45 second intervals at a thousand watt average, you know, playing with the assault bike or playing with a two. I like the assault bike because that's what I have at home and at the studio and what I opt for when I go to the gym. But finding a way to do a lot of zone one and two and then sprinkling in a little bit of that high end upper echelon work, I think that would help you recover. I really do. I don't think it would hurt you at all. Um, And I don't think it'll subtract from your ability to build muscle in any meaningful way. I think a lot of people um, have wildly uh, oversold the dangers, if you will, of what is known as the interference effect, which is essentially the ability cardiovascular adaptations and cardiovascular exercise has to interfere with hypertrophy. I feel this way similarly about the ice bath thing, um, albeit there's certainly some substance there for cold water immersion and hypertrophy to not put it like right after your workout. But I also kind of felt that sauna was getting unnecessarily bashed because people are like, oh, you want to maximize post-workout inflammation for hypertrophy. It's like, yeah, but for how long? And, and to what degree do we meaningfully reduce it using heat and and do we more just dissipate it or even encourage blood flow into those tissues that so desperately need nutrients and we need nutrients partitioned to them. So on your non-training days, low intensity cardio is going to help you move things around your body, circulate fluids, partition nutrients, develop your aerobic health, give you peace of mind. In my book, absolute no brainer. All right, guys, thank you so very much for tuning in to this episode of the podcast. I want to get to three times a week with you, so much so that I am recording at 6 p.m. here on a Wednesday night after a very long day. Uh, Tomorrow, I'll be hopping on a podcast uh, with my friend Aram. Uh, He invited me to speak at an event of his in Vegas this year. I unfortunately could not get there really cool guy. I hear he's got a great co-host, so I'm excited to hop on that podcast. Um, Keep your eyes peeled for that. Um, But if you have not yet, share this to your Instagram story. Give it a five-star rating and review. Tag me so I can connect with you. I'd love to connect with you on social. Um, I'm trying to do a better job of checking DMs as we move forward. It's honestly a situation where it's like, if you check one, you got to check them all, but I'm trying to check more of them as they come in and just let whatever is in there pass. But Share this to your story, tag me so I can say thank you. Leave a five-star rating and review on Apple and Spotify. Written reviews are best. I will catch you on the next one, folks. Stay healthy.